Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Jay Helms, and I'm the founder of this podcast and movement known as the W2 Capitalist. Today's episode, I am joined by one of the guys who I've been following for quite a while now, Gino Barbaro from uh, jakeandgino.com, guy who is killing it in the multifamily space. Uh, let me get through his bio, bio real quick, and then I'm going to give you, I usually give you three bullet points, but there's so much good material in here. I think I have like 15. So let me get through this real quick so we can get to the content. But Gino, He's an investor, he's a business owner, and he's an entrepreneur, so he's on his way to that cash flow quadrant that we've talked about in the past. Uh, he's been investing in real estate for 15 years, but most recently what's propelled him to his success is his multifamily focus for the last six years. He now has over 1,100 units, which equates to about $70 million in assets. Uh, he's teamed up with Jake Sanazio, and I hope I'm getting their names right, and this the Italian guys, man. Um, it really makes this Alabama boy struggle. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Jake and Gino, they're, they're jakeandgino.com. Uh, they have launched a real estate educational company that offers coaching and training in real estate investing. Uh, Gino is a best selling author of a book, Will Barrel Profits, which you can find on Amazon. We'll link, link in the show notes. And is a uh, graduate of IPEC, which is the Institute of Professional Excellence in Coaching, and is a certified professional coach. Whew. A lot of stuff. On top of that, he currently resides in Florida with his beautiful wife, Julia, and they have six children. So if there's anything that I want you to get out of this episode is how much Gino has been able to accomplish in the last six years Why, while not only growing his multifamily portfolio, but helping raise six children, which I think he told me they range in age of, of 20 to six. So they're pretty widespread, but so let's get into to the content today. A couple of things I want to point out as we get into, uh, number one, how Gino sets goals. We're real big on setting goals for W2 capitalists, uh, in our mastermind group. So I'll pick Gino's brain on how he does that. We get into a phrase called equity hogs that he introduced me to, which I really love. Uh, we get into, we get, what I love about this interview is we get into a lot of sidebar conversations, um, just about different things. And one of those things were, were victims of society in a post I recently made on a local community page about don't feeding the animals. Uh, anyway, we'll get into that. Uh, the ultimate goal of financial freedom, how to teach your children about, uh, financing, saving, budgeting, uh, and, and ultimately our job as parents. Uh, how to accept social changes uh, from your kids. And we'll get into what that means uh, just a little bit because we get into talking about how our parents, uh, the way they made money is not how people are going to make money today. So if that trend continues or that pattern continues, then what the way our kids are going to make money may not be in real estate and it may not be the same way, even if it is in real estate. So we get to talking about that. Uh, we get to talking about how the American dream is dying. Uh, the best advice, Gino gets into the best advice to raise money. He just went through his first syndication, even though he's got 1100 units in six years, he just now did his first syndication. So he gets talking about that. Uh, we dive into the, uh, dopamine effect of stock trading and why people choose that over real estate investing. We also get into the Gino's best advice for stopping exchanging time for money and ha and we get into the 10 pillars of wealth uh, sort of concept. And we also will we'll end the interview getting a little personal with Gino in his favorite dish to cook if he, if he's ever allowed to cook. So anyway, uh, 
so the very last thing, and then we'll get right into the content. Uh, I also talked to Gino about where he thinks the market is heading and if he is concerned about it. So really good stuff here. We've got about an hour of his time and he gets to make fun of me because I completely foobarred uh, the scheduling of this. And he reached out and perceived me and say, Hey man, I think we have a, we have an interview this morning. And I totally forgot to, to send him the link for the, for that. Actually, I forgot to send him a, an invite at all. So very thankful for that. Anyway, here comes the content. Let's get to work. capitalist. You are addressing the gap between your successful, fulfilling W-2 job and building wealth for your family through real estate investing. You are ready to earn, invest, repeat. Welcome to the W-2 Capitalist Podcast. Now, let's get to work. Here's your host, Jay Helms. Now I feel like I'm on after hour. <laughs> Dude, I'm on after hour every day, so don't worry about it. It is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Hey, I appreciate Josh. Uh, is it Josh or Joshua? What does he prefer? Yeah, Josh. Josh. I appreciate Josh reaching out and, and um, setting this up. And then I fumbled it and forgot to send the invite out with the link. So, because um, I had no, it's like I forgot to send the invite out altogether. And that's yeah, okay. So. Yeah, that's okay. I'm just going through my emails and I don't have anything from your email. And and I know email yeah. swapped it up. Yahoo just uses emails. I don't know where the hell they go sometimes. So, no, and I didn't send it out. That's on me. Okay, so, good. thank you for. <laughs> no, no problem. Come on, man. It's all. <laughs> It's incredibly embarrassing. But anyway, man, I am uh, excited to talk to you just personally because I've been following you guys for a while. I think the very first time I heard about you was on uh, Bigger Pockets, and uh, I don't remember what show it was, but uh, what I sat back and, and realized is if I ever got to talk to you guys, uh, I'm going to have a hard time keeping up because y'all feed off each other. I mean, you, you guys are just nonstop. I'm like, man, these guys are. I don't know if they're like have an IV of Red Bull in them or or what. No, but. no not at all. Not I, at all. It, it's funny because um, we've we've come a long way. I mean, like honestly, it's only in five or six years. I'm a little bit older than you, probably. So, I mean, I, what I've learned over the last five years is so many different ways to get into multifamily, and it's just yeah. everyone pigeonholes himself into doing it. I got to do it myself, and and that's just that's the fallacy. I mean, we had a money mixer this weekend with sixty of our students in Jacksonville. We had syndicators there. So, I mean, it's just everyone can bring something different to the table. They can start small. And you're, you're w, it's W-2 capitalist. So, you work with a lot of people who still have W-2s, right? Right. Yeah. So, Almost I everybody. Mean, yeah, that's, I mean, there's such an easy way to get into it, right? I mean, like everyone can, can continue to work and start scaling up. And then there comes a point when you want to leave your job. But there's so many different ways to get into this business. Yeah. I've realized over the last couple of years. As a matter of fact, one of my uh, members was at your meetup. I saw him post a picture that he took with you, uh, Gwaith Smith. I don't oh, expect yeah. you to, to remember yeah. everybody, but um, yeah, no, I know Gwaith. Gwaith joined us about two months ago. Um, prosthetic guy, he makes yeah. prosthetics. Yes, yeah, 
Yeah, I like Wace. He's a really yeah. cool dude. Yeah. He seems to have a very level head about him. You know, well, he's another one, right? He joined us a couple months ago. He had I don't think he had any idea of how many different ways you can get into multifamily. I think his way was just to buy a couple of units here and that's it. But there's so many different ways you can get into you want to raise capital, you want to property manage, you want to run the deal, you want to show a balance sheet, whatever it is, there's so many different yeah. ways to do it. And I think he's he's jumping in the deep end, which is really good. He is, man. He he had his um uh, first, I say first webinar, I think it was last night, two nights ago. I did uh-huh. not attend, but I, I, I want to uh, jump back on and watch the recording. Uh-huh. See how he did and, and pick on him a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, dude. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. Well, the way I, the way I do podcasts is just like this. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. Hey, if we're having coffee, right. Mm-hmm. And we're just shooting the shit and I'll, mm-hmm. so I'll go back and I'll do an introduction. Sure. Um, Josh sent over the bio and whatnot. Uh, and I'll put all that in anything that you want me to highlight more. So than any other part, um, basically pizza guy and a drug rep bought their first deal back in 2013, 25 units, um, scaled up, I guess to a thousand, 1100 units themselves, um, did their first syndication in November of this past year. Yeah. Um, and now was your first one was this past year. Yeah. And we never, we had never syndicated because we just kept okay. refining rolling the money. So it's just me, Jake and my partner, Mike, nice. but that's the, that's the problem. I didn't have to wait. I could have syndicated it sooner, but, um, I just, we were just equity hounds. So we just wanted to equity to ourselves, but man, syndication is just a completely different beast. If you can it control is. the GP and you can do a little catch up on the pref rate and you can do some asset management fees and the act fee and you buy the deals. You just got to get great deals. If you can do that, you can really build a freaking awesome business. Yeah. Really I like that phrase you just used equity hounds. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, we like are. It. That's and that, but it's good. But you know what? Sometimes it limits you because you're just thinking about the equity, equity, equity. Um, doesn't mean you can't share the equity. But I think when we refi these properties, if you own 20% or 30% of something, and you're refining it, that money's going to come back to all to you. Right. Right. And, be disciplined enough to put into the next deal. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, uh, and it, it does take discipline, right? Cause yes. it's, uh, you get this big, yeah. I like to compare it to the college kid who just got signed for whatever professional sports and he gets this huge bonus check for mm-hmm. millions and millions of dollars. So it's somebody who's never had that much money themselves. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now what do they do? Right. And that's why you see a lot of these guys who go in the first rounds, uh, I'm particularly picking on the NFL, but they go in these first rounds. They don't do a whole lot mm-hmm. with their NFL career because I think that drive uh, is eliminated, mm-hmm. right? Because they get this big, huge payday. And then you get the Tom Brady's in the world who have to go to a combine to, to prove themselves and they just produce. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, maybe Tom Brady's a bad example if you don't like Tom Brady, but <laughs> you know, I'm a Jets fan, but I have to say they have a really unique situation there. I, I don't think those guys like playing football. I think those guys like winning. I, I really do. <laughs> Not certain. And, and I think they, 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 I was talking to somebody yesterday, day before, they generate success and happiness by winning, right? Yeah. I, if I'm playing football, I just want to play and have a good time. If I win the Super Bowl, great. Their whole mantra is we win or we just had a terrible year. And I don't know if that's a great way to live because yeah. he, he, he looks like he's going to commit suicide, his Brady, uh, Belichick on the sidelines. He doesn't look like he's having fun. He looks like it's a painstaking process. And, and it's, you know, he's a he's genius interchanging parts. But yeah. I think 95% of the companies in the U.S., if they do that, the culture would be total shit because yeah. – 
It doesn't like seem like he not that he doesn't care about his teammates, but he's like, okay, I don't need you anymore. Let's get the next guy in and filling in the pieces. And I'm really amazed that he's had an, a run like that to be able to do yeah. something like that. Because if you do that in a company, you're, you're going to get employees who are completely pissed off. They know they're being used, and then they're just being replaced by younger people or by better people. And then when is my time going to be done? I, yeah. I guess everyone goes there to win a ring, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm trying to equate that to business. Like, what companies do you know that are really super successful like them, like at the pinnacle? I don't think Apple does that. Do you? I don't think Chick-fil-A does that. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very confident. I don't know. I've never worked for either one of those companies. They, they never come up publicly and said, this is what we're going to do. You know, GE for a long time had this 10% rule. And if you were in the bottom 10% of your perform, whatever department you were in, you were gone. Right. Mm-hmm. At, at the annual review. If you, so it didn't really matter. So I, you know, I don't, um, yeah, where's G now though? It, well, that was, that was going to be my follow up. You, you yeah. don't hear so much about them. And I don't know if it's because of that policy. And I don't know if Jack Welch was behind that, but he's obviously, you know, not as evolved or evolved at all, but you're right. I mean, they're, they're, you, you, see, you see them play. I'm not saying that they're not having fun or anything like that. And he's been there for the entire run. I just, I it just I'm just struggling with that because you you gauge success by okay they won the Super Bowl obviously that's how you you're always remembered and all yeah but no I I just I don't know it's weird it's a weird they have a weird culture there if you look at the team right yeah and a and a diehard Patriots fan we go yeah winning winning culture blah 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 yeah. <laughs> and I I've been to a game in Foxborough and, and it was fun and the yeah. fans were awesome uh you know mm-hmm. everybody was nice uh it, but it was it was it's it's an interesting thing. Foxborough is just, and it's in the middle of nowhere. You know, I know. I, know. Uh, I guess there's a big tax advantage for going out there. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. it's weird. No, I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm struggling with that because uh, people are always talking about success and about goals and all. And I guess if that's where you, if you put that in the beginning of the year, our goal is if we don't succeed by winning the Super Bowl, the year was a, a waste of time or a loss. Yeah, I don't. There's only one team out of 27 can win it. And you see how it is. You can lose because the refs suck. You know what I'm saying? So how do you say, okay, we had an unsuccessful – like, I'm a Cowboys fan. They, they got into the playoffs. Yeah. Dak had a good year. I mean, okay, they win the Super Bowl, but, hey, they had a pretty good season. So is it a failure? No, I think it's a success. I think they can build on it, right? So it's just yeah. all how, 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 I guess, everyone gauges it, right? Yeah. You said 27. Aren't there 32 teams? I don't know how many. Was it 32? I'm think, an old. I'm well, old. I, no, I thought you made yeah. uh, like the Raiders are never going to win it. Right? Yeah. The Cleveland yeah. Browns, they're never going to. But mean, everyone's saying the Browns are going to be good this year, right? Everyone says that they, uh, they're, their culture sucks. They, they see That's the thing. So that's the only thing. They are completely like when you start identifying as like the like the like that, you identify as a complete. See that. So the identity is really important because the Patriots have the identity of winning, right? Even the Jets. The Jets are freaking horrible. I'm yeah. a Jets fan. Come on, man. I mean, you're New York. <laughs> it's like the Knicks. I used to be a Knicks fan, a basketball fan. It's just you create that identity and nobody wants to come play for you, man. That's a problem. Yeah. Right? How do you, so let's relate that to investing for a minute. Um, I love these tangents, that these rabbits that I tend to chase when I interview people. Uh, and that's probably the best one so far. Um, but how do you equate winning to real estate i mean do you do you individually set goals and does do you and jake come together and say okay here's what we're going to accomplish as amount amount of doors what 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 are some of the goals that you because that's something we focus big on in the w2 capitalist is you know we go off the 12-week year uh book uh concept by brian moran uh it seems to 
at least on my, cause I use it right. And my daily, uh, my daily grind to where it, it seems to keeps me more productive and mm -hmm. I feel like I'm getting a lot done. I've got a lot of momentum. Uh, but I talked to a psychologist last week, not my personal psychologist. I don't have one of those yet. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe soon, but it, he was, he's an expert on negotiating and, and, um, has, uh, been a expert for, uh, he hosts a radio show on NPR, San Francisco's Dr. Marty Nimco, and, and he works with people, coaches. He's a career coach, basically. Um, and he's like, you know, I don't set goals, him personally. He goes, I have no – he goes, if I get an open time spot, I just go and do. And like, well, that's a disciplined human being. That is not me. I've got to have something written down and looked at and, and my plan for the next – with a 12-week year, you know, in the next quarter. But what are you and – you and uh, what do you do? Yeah. Uh, me personally, when I first started and I was working at the restaurant, I just wanted to get the hell out of there. So my goal was to make X amount of money per month, no matter how I did that. Right. And when I got close to it, I left, I was quote unquote, not totally financially free yet. I moved down to Florida and my goal was to become financially free. I don't go by number of doors or whatever. I went by number of whatever if the deal looked good and how much more money would put, bring to my draw. Once I became financially free, it's like, all right, now I got time. I started building Jake and Gino, but I was disciplined in uh, structuring my day, structuring my week, being productive. Um, and now it's just like, I don't really, I, I'm reading a book, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. And I'm, you know, when you, Heard that. Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a life coach. So I, I coach a lot of students and I'm trying to go more towards peak performance. And um, the chemicals in our brain, I mean, people really have to study brain and about dopamine about serotonin because dopamine is an instant gratification drug. So the problem with multifamily is you can't have that dopamine rush. You need to have the dopamine rush about, about doing little, little goals, calling a broker, getting a rush, putting it on a piece of paper, being visual, putting your goals down because we're visual and striking it off. And then my partner's got that. Yeah. He has that dopamine rush every time he has a cart stock for the week. And I see him meticulously crossing it off. <laughs> that gives him the, 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 that little juice or spark yeah. to get the next thing done and then get the next thing done and then get the yeah. next thing done. By the end of the week, it's done. And then Sunday, he, he writes up, he builds up the whole week. Um, I'm a little more fluid because I can get a call. I can get calls scheduled during the week. Um, I need to create content. I need to be on podcasts. I'm analyzing deals. I'm helping students now. So um, we're stacking and we're creating other other multiple streams of income. As far as we're, we're doing mortgages now, we have the syndication company. We're we're talking to to investors. We just had that weekend meetup. So I mean, I I don't. We should do goals, right? But we have weekly calls. We have like we call level ten meetings with all every different company. So I have about one a day on average with each company. And from there, we'll do 30 days, 60 days, and 90 day. We'll brainstorm and then we'll do, you know, quests to get done quarterly, rest to get done every six months and yearly. And then we'll just go through them every week and see what we need to do. And we'll pivot whenever we need to, to, to do something. There's nothing really set in stone. Yeah. You know, I think you need to be, but for me, I don't really have any more income goals. I don't really care how many doors we have. I have more than enough money. And I know if, if I love the system that I'm figuring out and I'm, I'm helping people out, the more people I help out, the more properties we buy the more money we make. That's what it yeah. comes down to, you know? Yeah. You threw a lot at me right there. So I'm going to try to unpackage a little bit of it. <laughs> the first guy that ever introduced me to the whole dopamine serotonin effect uh, was Simon Sinek. I'm sure you're familiar with yeah. his, uh, his book, Start With Why was, was a big influence on me. Um, first one, I, first book I read. Yeah. That's his yeah. first book. I'm reading the second one. The second one, you got to read the second one. It's great. 
Uh, what's the second one? It's called Leaders Eat Last. It's a great book. That's oh, that's that's, that's his. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's why I'm 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 just started the first eighty pages or something. But I'm reading that and actually going back reading it and taking notes. I'm like, yeah. wow, there's a reason why people do certain things, and it's it's hard for multifamily because multifamily is basically. I equate it to being a farmer. You're planting a seed. Oh, yeah. You pray to God that it doesn't snow, it doesn't rain, you don't have hail. So four months later, you'll be able to cultivate it. Like when my dad came from Italy. He came here because he couldn't deal with it anymore. I mean, you're talking about life and death. Here, you do that multifamily. It's not life and death. It's just money, right? And people are yeah. so afraid of that. And, and they're used to the dopamine effect, right? And the problem is that it takes – it's a long game. I mean, it's only three years. You can become financially free within the first three years of doing multifamily. You really can. The problem is that most people don't have that time frame. They're used to the instant gratification of transactions. You know, you buy a single family home, boom, six months later, you turn around, you made a $30,000 check. The yeah. problem is it's a transaction. There's no, you're not generating any kind of equity in it. And that's the hard part about it. So the other thing when you read in the book is, is the oxytocin where we're creating the Jake and Gino environment. People think they can do it on themselves. And that's why Bigger Pockets is a big success because people get on there, they share their wins, and they're like, okay. And and when you when you share a win, you make somebody feel good. You feel good too. And also, when you're helping somebody, you also feel better, and the person right. feels better. And and the problem is, people need that environment. And, you know, in our Jake and Gino community, we have a lot of students who get on. They might have the education, but they don't have the support. They have people telling them you're crazy. Yeah, yeah. Do this, but there's not one person in our platform that's going to say that because they're all in it. And the other thing is the identity. If you don't identify as a multifamily investor, if you're still identifying as a single family home investor or a mobile home park investor or a stock trader, and you're not identifying as multifamily. It's going to be a lot harder for you to make that transition. So you need the community. You need the environment and all these drugs that are going in your, in your brain, shooting off in your brain. They really, if you know how to use them and you can see yourself, you can change your habits and stuff like that. It's great because, listen, I put the phone away and the phone's on airplane. People have a dopamine effect when you hear bing, 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 you stop. Oh, yeah. That is, it's a great feeling. You have the likes and all, but it's it's so not unproductive because you're yeah. constantly yeah. distracted with it, you know? Yeah. That's oh. what I, I just made sure mine was because... <laughs> I'm not just trying to reach over here. No, I didn't. And it's funny because I put mine in airplane mode now. It's in the it's in the thing, and you try to focus on what you're doing, and that's people can't do that because they're constantly being distracted. But yeah. you need to really singularly focus when you're doing multifamily. You need to learn it. You need to learn how to speak to brokers. You need to how to focus on markets. You need to how to analyze deals. There's a lot in the very beginning. Learn the whole process. You learn. You need to learn how to property manage, how to vet third-party management. You need to know all about the financing, all the different strategies. You need to learn about syndication. There's a lot of work that you need to do. But once you learn it, it's not like IT where everything evolves. It's basically in strategies, right? I mean, seller financing, seller financing. Learning how to speak to a broker is learning how to speak to a broker. It's emotional intelligence. Once you learn those skills, then there's stuff that people don't know that they don't know. Like you don't need to buy one of these deals, 100-unit deals by yourself. You can raise a little bit of the capital yourself. You can bring find a deal. You can, you know, there's so many different things. You can property manage the deal. You can bird dog or wholesale the deal, whatever it is. There's so many different ways to do it. You don't need to do it yourself. And, um, you know, the environment where you have other people doing it, you share these ideas and share these thoughts and you'll, you're, you have more, more chance of being successful. Yeah. And you know, I love what you said there about, um, you know, checking off the boxes in, in that, uh, serotonin effect. And I do that. I have a, 
I'm not going to try to get it because it's buried under some stuff, right? <laughs> but I have a, a checklist, my daily thing that I do. Uh, and I use time blocking. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but yes. it's very much. Uh, it's, it's amazing when you have 30 minutes of unobstructed time to focus and be selfish with it, um, how much you can get accomplished. You know, I have people all the time, well, how, how are you, how do you do this? You know, and I was like, well, number one, I take time off from my W2 to focus on real estate. Right. Um, and luckily we live in a vacation town. We're uh, 15 minutes from the beach. So if we want, if we vacation, it's usually going to see the family or going, you know, taking time off to go do whatever real estate related. Um, so I, I think that's important uh, to time block and also to uh, be very specific about what you're trying to, uh, trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned there that, you know, kind of went through the, um, well, let me back up. So when we started investing, I say we, my wife and I, uh, about five years ago now, one of the things that was pressured upon me was, you know, that financial success. And I finally realized that my W2 job is not going to give me the financial success that I want, right? Not anything about the company that I worked for, the position I was in, it was, it had its limits and that was it. Right. And I would never be able to accomplish what I wanted to financially just by doing a W2. So we started investing. And what I realized is that not only did I start seeing that financial success happen quicker, but it eliminated that anxiety that I was having toward that because I was focusing that anxiety and that stress on, man, my job sucks you know, it's horrible. Well, the job wasn't horrible. I, I like what I do. Um, I'm pretty good at it and it just doesn't pay me what I want it to pay me. Right. So you, you're kind of going down the line of now that we are, uh, you've hit certain financial targets, you're able to focus on what you want to focus. And that has to be a huge, uh, stress reliever, you know, for you. Not right. I mean, as far as now you can coach people, you can tell, tell people how to do multifamily. It's just, it's a ama- it's amazing feeling, right? And I don't know what the, the chemical is in, in your brain that does that, but that's, that's why I start every morning, uh, at 5 AM and I'm doing something real estate, uh, related and I'm crossing those things off my list and it puts me in such a better mood for, for when I go into the office. Right. And right now mm-hmm. that's a home office, but that's mm-hmm. probably going to change pretty soon. <laughs> That's great. I, yeah. There's so much to that also. I mean, uh, I don't know. I was in the same position as you. I, I guess I like working at the restaurant. My problem was like, you know, I'm working weekends. I'm working holidays. I don't want to be there at that time all the time. I'm working a lot of hours. I'm working harder. So the expectation right. 15, 20 years ago is I used to make a pretty good living. Um, but then when the recession came and all of a sudden everyone's delivering, all of a sudden my expenses are going up. All of a sudden the employees are a lot harder to get. They're costing more my expectations just dropped and I wasn't making nearly as much and I didn't see a great future. It's all about really future and hope, right? Hope and change. Yep. That's what yep. the hope and change was in 08. Not much change. There's a lot of hope that went down. Right. The <laughs> yeah. And you know what I mean? For seven or eight years, it just, and I'm glad I am, you know, I have to say, looking back, I'm glad that, you know, we squandered those six or seven years in the economy because I'd probably still be at the restaurant. I probably would have been uncomfortable and not uncomfortable enough and I don't blame, you know, the, the former president, but that was a tough time to be around and have be a yeah. business owner because 
I mean, and entrepreneurship, there was not, no, there was nothing. Regulations are hard. And, um, you know, I talk about in life coaching, that's an external block. We can't control what happened, but I'm thinking to myself, I wised up and I said, Jay, there's a lot of people out there making millions of dollars when this economy sucks. What are they doing? They're not doing what I'm doing, right? Yeah. They're, they're not, <laughs> and I have a little small job. They're doing different stuff. So it's, it's incumbent upon us to figure out what they're doing. And ultimately that's what I did. I went to coaching school for the personal development, became a life coach as a result, I mean, I didn't, that's not with my byproduct, but my byproduct that I wanted to work on myself. And I, unfortunately, most people don't understand that it's 80% mechanical. You can learn, you can learn cap rates, anyone can learn a cash and cash return, right. anyone can learn a lot of those. But if you're not ready psychologically, you don't have those, that, that reason why to do it. If you don't have to, you know, if you don't know how to raise your, your state, it's all about your physiology. You get on, you're pumped up during the day. You can control all that, but people don't even know that. They're walking around like zombies. That's the problem. You can yeah. control how you feel. Let's do it right now. Stand up, deep breath, look forward, smile, laugh a little bit. You can control your whole physiology. How do you feel? I can see you smiling right now. Yeah. You get off this podcast, <laughs> you're ready to get in call on a broker. But if you're down in the dumps and you're a victim, like we're portraying, everyone's a victim nowadays. It's all about right. giving people reparations and all that. That's in the past. You can't change that. Let's focus on what we can do today going forward. Let's acknowledge the past. The past sucked for a lot of people. But we can't do anything about it. I mean, yeah. even if you give the money, what, what's that going to happen? It's like giving an athlete $6 million. He's going to squander. He's not going to know what to do. Let's teach yeah. these people what to do from today going forward. You know, you give a person a fish, great. Teach them how to fish. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we need to do. So if you can raise your state, right, all of a sudden, you're, it's, it's awesome. You're feeling good. What do I do now? Yeah. The second thing is identify your identity and your environment. I spoke about that. That's really important because now all of a sudden you're calling these brokers and you're talking like a multifamily broker. You know, you're in the environment. People are supporting you. You can ask questions. The third one is a strategy. I mean, Tony Robbins says if you're driving east and trying to find a sunset, you're never going to find it. Yeah. You, know what I'm saying? Yeah. you have to pick the right strategy. And people will say, yeah, well, I've done, a hundred, I've done hundreds of things. Well, how many really? Ah, I've done three or four. Okay. So you haven't tried enough. So yeah. I started out with mobile home parks. I crapped out, didn't know 10 years ago. Then I had a strip center, crapped out, didn't know that. Then I bought, was buying three plexes and four plexes and duplexes up in Rochester. That didn't work for me either. I kept changing my strategy until I found something that worked for me that I liked. Yeah. And people don't do that because they'll quit after one or two because it's that dopamine effect where they need to have it instantaneously. And that's not how life works. That's not how we, our brains work. We have to make mistakes and work through those mistakes. I mean, when we first started our podcast three years ago, Three and a half years ago now, maybe four. Wow. It's, been, it's been a while. Um, we weren't that good in the beginning, but you learn. You learn how to interview people. You learn how to be quiet. You learn how to ask the right questions. And if you're not willing to make those mistakes and look foolish, then you're not going to progress in life and become better. So, I mean, read the talent code by Dan Daniel Coyle. He talks about that. There's something called myelin in our brain that actually helps us create those pathways for us to be able to learn. And that hard learning, you know, Robert Kiyosaki says it, you have to make mistakes. School tells you mistakes are bad. Life is mistakes are great if you can focus on them, figure out why you made a mistake, and learn from that mistake, and then all of a sudden you'll get better. You know, yeah. those hundred mistakes are actually just a hundred steps closer to being successful, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yep. My wife and I, we bought our first. It was going to be a live-in flip, and we bought it in two thousand six. Mm -hmm. uh, you know what happened the next couple of years, right? Yep. So we took some time to recover from that, and then uh, then we start trying to wholesaling. 
figured out that does not fit my personality whatsoever. And then we found buy and hold and that's, that's been uh, amazing for us. So, so it's not the strategy that's bad. It's also your personality. I don't know. I'm not really a wholesaler either. I don't yeah. want to live by the seat of my pants, get a deal, put on the contract, do all that work and then make five grand in a deal. And then yeah. have to- Hey everybody, I want to take a break from the action real quick and point you over to Passive Real Estate Investor Academy. It's one of our affiliate sponsors for the show. Um, Annie Dickerson, who leads up the academy there, I've met her, I met her at a conference last year. I wanted to meet her because she is actually on uh, one of our posts, uh, 12 sites every financial freedom seeker should know about. Uh, The things that they're doing at Good Ag Investments, uh, I'm just amazed by. Uh, She had a very successful W-2 career, but also uh, I think it was last year, uh, 2018, she was able to pull her parachute cord and become a corporate dropout and focus on real estate investing full time. So, and by that, I mean her and her partner are now syndicating deals through their uh, corporation, Good Egg, Good Egg Investments. And what I'm most impressed by these these ladies, what they're doing is they closed, I think it was around 3,500 doors last year. Um, and now they're teaching, they've launched this course, Passive Real Estate Investor Academy, Uh, to teach people what it really means to become a passive real estate investor and working with syndicators, whether you work with them or not, helps you understand what a passive real estate investor is all about. So check them out. We have a specific link for you. You can find it at helmsrei.com slash P-R-E-I-A. All right, let's get back to it. If you can scale it up and, and create a business from that, that's great. But ultimately, I'd love to do that, make money and put that aside and buy assets with that money. You know, people, yeah. when they get in that, they get in that trap though, they get in that flashy, they're making 20 grand a month and that, and then it's a great lifestyle, but that strategy is not going to last forever. It's not yeah. a strategy that, that that's creating wealth. It's more like creating, you know, a job. Yeah, there's uh there's one guy that fits that description for me where he's he's really created a business out of it. Uh, it's Bill Allen. I don't know if you know Bill or not, but uh, he's he's done tremendous stuff and and a guy that I I subscribe to his list just to see what he's doing. But he's he's built this humongous team, and you know he's not the. It's a business. It's not a one thing. So he can multifacet it. So he can wholesale deals. I'm just saying what I, what I would do is I would wholesale deals. I'd get my license also. Maybe. Yep start buying some of these deals, maybe create a, a, a private money list where I can start lending money from people, do a hard money fund. Maybe maybe when I'm buying some of these deals, I can create a property management company because I'm holding some of these in my own portfolio, or maybe I'm selling some to investors. And, and then I start creating a list of investors where I have investors buying these deals with me. So it's not you don't have to just pigeon yourself in wholesale. Yeah. You can create a whole multifaceted. But the key is it's a business. Multifamily and single families should be run like a business because most right. people think of them as just house hacking or land or landlording. That's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is asset managing, where you can pull yourself out of the day to day, hire somebody to do a lot of the day to day, and then ultimately create a business through it. And and that's what people I think lack. And that's where you make the money, where you can start thinking high level concepts and start, you know. I mean, your investors, if you can, if you can create an investor database where you can have people help you raise money and, and help, that's how you get the bigger deals. So yeah. I think we get caught up in the minutia. At least I did in the beginning. I was like, oh, I got to do all this stuff and it's <laughs> your growth, right? That's what yeah. happening, you know? You got to learn to outsource, especially when you have a W-2. You know, yes. th- somebody posted a question last night. How do I, what's the best way for me to get, um, to grab leads when I'm, when I have a high demanding job? I was like, well work with wholesalers, work with realtors, you know, have them, have them flood your inbox for leads. You don't need to be sending out mailers. You don't have time for that. 
Um, one of the well, he should he should be partnering too. I mean, that's yeah, the other thing. Absolutely. Get a partner and have someone. If you have a high demanding job, that means you must be making some pretty good money at your W two. Yeah. So. Yeah. Get somebody out and share the pie. There's no reason yeah. why you can share the pie. And you said something about feeding, uh, teach them, teach people how to fish, right? Mm-hmm. So the other day, um, uh, I made a post in one of our local community Facebook group. There was a guy in the parking lot, shopping center parking lot, holding up a sign, you know, work for food or whatever. And I made a comment about uh, making fun of him, you know, just. just I guess every now and then I just got to poke the crowd. Right. And it it rubbed so many people the wrong way. And I'm like, guys, you keep giving them money. They're going to come back. Right. Because they don't know what else to do. And I got, I got battered with you're a jerk, you're an asshole Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And I'm like, guys, I'm not saying that there's not a time and place. I, I donate my time to help out, um, at least once a year. Uh, it probably should be more than that. And we're working, I'm working toward that, but it's not on the street corner of whatever, mm-hmm. you know, wherever we're at. So anyway, well, I've, I was reading, I don't remember where I read this, but somebody said that's actually cruel to do that because yeah. you're actually giving him money and he's, and he's becoming dependent on that and he doesn't learn a skill set. And it's actually sort of dehumanizing. If you think about it, I think yeah. everybody on this planet wants to be significant. I mean, yeah. how significant can you be if you're asking for money and you're, you're getting money from other people? Now, there's obviously people out there who have mental health issues and really need the safety. Yes. I'm not talking yeah. about them. I'm just talking about the average. And there's a lot of them out there. And, and we're creating a society of them where they're victims and they're, you know what? I don't want to work today. That's not good because yeah. that's not really being productive. And that's, that's really, I think it's damaging to the human soul. I mean, that's why basically I'm doing what I'm doing because I can't sit still because it doesn't matter how much money you make ultimately really uh, I mean, people are not going to understand this, but once you have enough money to pay the bills and you can buy enough cars and go on vacations, it gets played after a while. I mean, yeah. you can look at the guys who sell businesses. You know, Elon Musk sold PayPal. He had more money than they needed. What are you going to do all this crap? I mean, why is Trump the president? I mean, really, does the guy got to be president? I mean, he's got billions. He's doing it because, <laughs> because it's fun. He yep. can do it. He wants to create relationships. He wants to make a difference. That's ultimately what you want to do. Become yeah. financially free and then figure out, well, okay, I'm playing with house money. I'm basically yeah. playing with house money right now. Um, right. What else I can do? It's a lot of fun. I want to get up in the morning, talk to people who I want to be, talk with who you want to, when you want to, why you want to, and wherever you want to. That's ultimately, I think, what financial freedom can do for people. And I think people miss that because when you're working for W-2, like I was, you're only thinking about yourself because you have it's, it's survival of the fittest. You need to it pay is. the cost. And when you become financially free, you know what? I can take today off and I can spend an hour talking to somebody um, on the phone and helping them out. Ultimately, I think people need to pay for education because they will not act on it unless they pay for it. Exactly. How many people do you, do you, uh, do you guys get, because I get this about once a week where somebody will say, Hey, I want to join the mastermind. I was like, great. Here's the link to sign up. And and it's it's really inexpensive, Mm -hmm. right? It's like 30 bucks a month. And they're like, well, I don't, I shouldn't be, I have to pay money to join. I was like, you're not dedicated. So, yes. You know, so that's, I'm sure you guys run into the same thing, right? When we first started out and, you know, people would always call me and say, can I pick your brain? And it got yeah, to the point okay. where I don't mind. I really don't. I love sharing. I love inspiring people. But I mean, even Jay Abraham says this, uh, I was giving people free advice. They weren't taking it. I was charging $3,000 an hour and all of a sudden they're acting on it. Yeah. Because 
people value something. And when they pull out their credit card and they, and they, they put that money into the deal, whether it's $30 or 30 bucks is nothing. I mean, come on. I mean, I've spent 10,000 bucks just to go to life coaching school. I spent 20, 30 grand on coaching, you know, on mentorships and masterminds. So, I mean, you need to spend money. It's just, it's just the bottom line because, and they say, well, why are you doing it for money? Well, I mean, obviously my time is worth something. And, and honestly, if you're not going to be able to spend, it's not spending money, you're, you're investing in yourself right. and then you're more, you are more apt to take somebody's advice or somebody's, you know, education more seriously because you're paying for it. Just look at what's going on. I mean, you get something for free from the government. You don't really care. But all of a sudden, you put some skin in the game. You're like, okay, let me think twice about it. I mean, I even had my son invest in one of our deals, the last one. He's only six. And uh, he invested five grand, but he's getting a draw now. He's talking about refine rolling. He's talking about what's the property doing. If I had just said, okay, Mike, I'll put five. And he's he's asking me, can I borrow money from you? So he's thinking creatively. I'm like, you're not borrowing money. You know what I'm saying? That's awesome. he's, He's thinking about it. And, and, most people don't even have that level of, of awareness that um, you got to have skin in the game. And I'm like, dude, you're not borrowing money from me. Whatever money you put in, you know, you have 1% of the deal, you'll be getting it. But at least he's got that, that, that skin in the game. Yeah. Whereas if I told him, Mike, this is what we're doing on the property, he doesn't really care. It doesn't really make any sense to him. And it's the yeah. idea that this is why you save money because people think saving as a pain point, even for kids, like you're not trying your six-year-old. Oh, kid. yeah. The hell does that mean? I mean, like now he can connect the dots where he's like, okay, I'm saving to buy an asset to produce money for me. I'm getting a money every month. And then maybe 18 months from now, we can refinance the property. I'll get my principal back. Maybe I can do that again in another deal. And all of a sudden his paradigm is completely shifted from the average 16 year old. Yeah. How do you, so is this his first deal that he's joined with you? Uh, it is. Yeah, it is his first deal. So I've got six kids. So my oldest one is uh, in college. She's a sophomore. She's doing youth ministry and philosophy, which is great. She, she might want to be a missionary. And whatever she wants to do, I support her. I think the kids, our job as parents is to give them a happy, healthy, safe environment. After that, they become adults. I don't want her to leave ever. Um, right. <laughs> but, it's, but you know, she goes to college and she, she lives at home and you know, she's really, she's a great person. Uh, that's what we need to do. We need to create that environment for them. My son is 16. Does he want to go to college? I don't know. He might, he might go to college. He might not. I don't think he needs it, but I'd like him to go just for the experience because we homeschool our kids. So, okay. um, the different, different things. So they don't, they're never really in a classroom. So he's yeah. hanging out, he's doing courses online, but I mean, he comes to our boot camps. So he's our boot camp in January, two days yeah. with, with, so his, it's completely different paradigm for him. He sees successful people and, yeah. um, I think college is a little different nowadays. I don't think you need to spend 300 grand to go to college. I think, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you can go and learn stuff on Google or YouTube, right? But I, I think you can join other platforms like yours or Michael Blank or Joe Farah right. or Jake and Gino, whatever, whatever you want to join and, and learn there. Um, the problem is when they're that young, they don't know what they want. I want them to have a base of business. I want them to have a base of knowledge. I want to have a base of being able to negotiate, being able to deal, being able to talk to people, have that emotional intelligence, and then figure out as he's getting older. Because learning is a lifelong process. You never stop learning. I think people, college is called commencement when you graduate because you're commencing your education after you graduate from college. Most people don't pick up a book after they graduate college. Yeah. I want them to continually learn. I want them to really enjoy learning. I don't think you need to be in school eight hours a day when you're 14 years old. I think it's the stupidest thing in the world. And then take home two hours of homework. Yeah, that 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 sounds like a lot of fun. That sounds like a full-time job, dude. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When they get out of college, it's the same thing. You, you know, you want to be able to enjoy it, be able to pick up a book and learn what you like. So 
Um, yeah, that this is his first deal. Uh, the other little kids are I got a thirteen year old, a ten year old, a seven year old, and I have a four year old. So they're not in it yet, but they're around right. there. You know what I'm saying? You That's home. Them. So I, personal question. So I've got a four year old and a two year old, and and one on the way. So I don't uh-huh. think we'll get That's to great. six. And I hope my wife doesn't hear me in the other room. She'll come barreling <laughs> in here. Um, how do you, when is it appropriate to start teaching them about finances and, and everything? And, and um, was what was the decision making for y'all to homeschool? Because we're also entertaining that idea as well. So the homeschooling was because I was up in New York. Um, Catholic school is very expensive. You start having six kids in school and then they started closing the schools down. And my wife's sister was homeschooling and we just started. My first one was five years old. We just started. Everyone thought we were crazy up there, but yeah. there's a really big contingent of homeschoolers. And honestly, it's really lifestyle because you want to go on yeah. vacation in, in April when no one's going out. I mean, I don't want to go on vacation in February when, when tickets are X amount of money. Right. Um, yeah. My mom is here in town today. So it's Friday. The kids are going to go to mass at noon, but they can go to breakfast with grandma. So they don't do school today. They pick up a book and read later. The flexibility is amazing. Um, the connection that my kids have, it's my 16 year old son is holding my four year old daughter. So they have a great connection between yeah. the family. That's another great, great dynamic. They actually like each other, which is really cool. That's important. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's really important. So um, the problem with school is, I don't know who said it, there's the only time in your life when you're with your same age group is in school and when you're in a nursing home. Every other part of your life, you're always with different age groups. So my son can interact with adults and he can interact with children without a problem. I think that's awesome. Um, and when you want to talk about money with kids, I think you just have to be careful with the words you use around children. You can't, that sounds back to Robert Kiyosaki, I can't afford it. Um, you know, it's too expensive. There's money yeah. growing trees. Kids start listening to that. And up at 10, 11 years old, they have that frame. Like that's what my mom used to say to me. Well, we have to stay small. I had one restaurant for 25 years. I've got 1,500 apartment units in five years. Yeah. As I broke out of that mindset and those words are really powerful. And I mean, Teach your kids about budgeting. Uh, teach your kids about you know how to be responsible with money. Teach your kids about we are stewards of our money, right? There's nothing wrong with really enjoying it, but at the same time, let's not really waste it. Let's make it you know worth something. Yeah. And like said, let's be charitable. Let's give back. And we do that a lot. We 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 uh, devote a lot of our time to um, you know giving back resources. We actually have a lot of people coming over to the house. So whenever I can you know fly somebody down for vacation, it's great. Having extra money is awesome because it's just a vehicle. You can use it any way you want, right? And that whole thing that money is evil, money is not evil, man. If you're a jerk with money, you're going to be a bigger jerk. It's the bottom line, right? Money's not evil. It's the person who's evil. And if you've got more money, then you're just going to- You can use it. That's right. Yeah, you can use it. So um, I just think there's so much to talk about with money. I just don't want people to- you know, force their kids to save money when they're four, five, six, and seven. You can talk to them and think about it, but think about it. If you're a little kid, I'm taking, my daughter gave me 50 bucks today because my grand, my mother was here. So she's like, dad, put it in the bank for me. I think she's already making the connection that I'm saving for, I'm storing it away for her. But I don't want her to have that scarcity mindset where if we're just storing it, we're never going to yeah. use it. I want her to have the abundant mindset that it's there. When something pops up, yeah, we can use it, but we, at least we're saving the money because I don't want my kids ever to use credit cards to go on vacation or to buy. I'm looking at a couch right now. If you can't afford to buy a couch, I don't want you to buy the couch. I want you yeah. to save the money and then buy it because I think personal debt is the slavery of today. Between all this debt that's going on, we're so financially illiterate with student debt. I mean, come on, you're going to get six six figure student debt. I mean, you're going to come out and you'll be paying a mortgage payment. So, I mean, is it worth it? Take yeah. a look at it and analyze it. So things have changed. So I just want them to be really responsible when they spend their money. 
Yeah. And I'm amazed at how many people I talk to that have over a hundred thousand dollars in student debt. And I'm just like, and they're not doctors or, you know, lawyers, they're, 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 I would say it's just seven figures. Some of these guys are six, seven, eight hundred grand and they're buying $2 million houses. So I don't even know what they're, and the thing is going forward, they're not going to be making the half million dollars with their, with their price. Yes. Yes. That's, that's that's the problem. Tough society to be a doctor in right now, for sure. It really is. Do you think, you know, you mentioned a couple of, uh, now I'm going to preface this by saying I love my parents uh, tremendously, right? They have set me up to where I am today. Mm -hmm. Without them, I wouldn't be where I am. But they had a lot of the same, hey, money doesn't grow on trees. Hey, we can't afford that, right? And we, it wasn't necessarily, so my mom was an office manager for a a one, a single doc. medical practice and my dad was a fireman, right? So that can give you an idea of mm-hmm. uh, what, what our financial situation was looked like. So we were very middle-class and, but they had those same sayings as, Hey, we, we couldn't afford that. But I actually feel like that. Uh, and maybe it's just how I'm wired, but I, I feel like if you've heard the same thing and now seeing where you're at, it gave me fuel to say, I never want to have that conversation with my kids. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, Hey, we can't afford that. And I've even now with our four year old, we'll be in a store or something and he'll want something, you know, a toy or whatever. And I'm like, well, how can we afford that? Mm-hmm. And his answer at four is, well, you just reach in your wallet and grab the money out. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, He's that's resourceful. True. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, does that mean you're spoiled? I don't know. <laughs> but you never spoil a kid. Yeah, it's not fruit, dude. They're, they're, they're not. But not spoil the kid. Yeah. Um, but do you think those, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for there? Those, not misnomers, but the way the you said it, the way that it was worded, do you think that was extra fuel that propelled you to be as successful as you are? Well, for me, basically, it came down to my father came here from another country, my mom did, and 30 and 40 years ago, the economy was structured differently, um, where you didn't, where time and money were not a thing. You didn't have to leverage time. He had a restaurant, maybe set 200 people. He had four partners, him and three other guys. And we lived an upper middle class life back in the seventies and eighties and nineties. We did Mm -hmm. really well. Right. And so for them, it was different. So your parents with firemen, your mom, they probably had decent pensions. It was a completely different time and people don't understand that. Um, and, you know, for them, for my mom, you know, stay small, don't take any risks. We're doing really well. You know, and the thing with the immigrant mentality, they work really hard and there's nothing wrong with working really hard. But nowadays you work really hard. You need to leverage your time. And unfortunately, yeah. this, this society, you know, the way we're structured, it's all about debt. The yeah. only way you're going to get rich in life, and you know, Kiyosaki said it on my podcast, real estate is debt and taxes. The only way you're going to get rich is by creating debt, by creating business debt, to lever your personal debt. Now you don't want yeah. to over lever, but that's the only way you're going to get rich in this, in this, uh, in this society that we have right now. It's not like, you know, when I was at a restaurant at the end of the week, you make decent money, you go do it next week. You buy maybe one or two little properties. They throw off cash flow. You pay off the mortgage, but that's not how it's really difficult yeah. to do that nowadays. It's a different playing field for sure. You know, the, the idea of getting a job, working there for 30 years, retiring on the pension that, that does not, those pensions are going bye-bye too because, yeah. because um, you know, teachers' pensions, they're golden handcuffs. They really get you there for 25 years or 30 years. And if you don't stay that long, and then when you do, and you know they're going to rewrite those laws. They will. Yeah. And now the guy's getting into it now. 
those pensions are really watered down as far as you know how much you're getting, how much you have to pay into it, and also you can rely on that. Yeah. Well, what do you think is going to happen with as society keeps progressing in one way or another? You know, <clears throat> the things that I want to teach my kids now may not be applicable in 20 years, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or when they're ready to set off on their venture, your kids are a little bit older, but what do you think, you know, how do you, I have a really good relationship with my parents. So if they give me some advice, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't necessarily act on it a lot of times. Sometimes that uh, I get a lot of, I told you so is right. Mm-hmm. But how do you, how have you thought about, you know, if society changes and it no longer is that debt ratio that you talked about to, to get ahead mm-hmm. and your kids pick up on it, but it's not the way that you made money. So how do you get that point across or how can they get that point across to you and say, dad, look, it's, it's not the same playing field, you know? That's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, look at it this way. Or will it we're change? Having, that? Yeah. We're, we're, we're having the battle. There's, there's too much of a fiat currency. There's just too much, there's just too much money, too much printing going on. Uh, you were having the battle right now. Is it worth it to buy a single family home? Is it worth it to buy your home? Yeah. And that's a, that's a big question nowadays, everybody. 20 years ago when you had depreciation and you could lever up in home equity and then you sell it, you can pay off the debt and move into something else. The, you know, millennials now, they have student debt. Is it, is it smart to buy a $200,000 house? Is it going to appreciate in value? Um, it's not an asset because it's taking money out of your pocket. You have to put one to 2% of the purchase price away every year for CapEx. So whatever right. pay down you have is going to upkeep the house. Now on the flip side, if that house is going to make you feel great, it's your castle. And obviously we're talking about it, if it's a dopamine effect and you, and it's, it makes you feel great. You're going to feel better throughout the day. You're going to take more action. You're going to call a broker. You're going to love your job. It's your palace. So it's a personal and it's a personal thing. I mean, if you're going to be in a place that you see yourself the next 15 years somewhere, then it's probably a decent idea to buy a house. But if you're going to be transient moving from one job to the next, does it make sense to, to buy a house just because it's the quote unquote American dream yeah. anymore? That's why multifamily is awesome because millennials aren't buying homes because they see it's not an investment. It wasn't like it was 30 years ago when your parents bought the house you know, Warren Buffett's still in the same house, you know, he's still in the same house that he bought. People yeah. aren't like that anymore. People, the average person, I think, has 11 or 12 residences throughout their entire lives. So yeah. does it make sense to buy a house? If you buy at the wrong part of the cycle and you got to sell, you're going to do that invariably if you've been in 11 different homes, right? Yeah. So that's that's the big one. I mean, as far as, you know, as far as them growing up and you see things change, I mean, things change at such a rapid rate that- yeah. I don't think the time for money is going to be huge. It's going to continue to go forward. You're going to need to leverage other people's time, other people's resources, other people's brains, and and other people's skill sets. If you can do that, I think you'll be more successful. I just think ultimately you want your kids to find something that they like to do and they're happy. Whether yeah. they make money doing it or not, they'll figure it out. They'll learn how to monetize it as long as they can give value to people. But if you can find something that you really like to do, that's, that's the most important thing to me. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, th- I think there's... Uh, the, the house we're in right now is not, um, we didn't buy it as an investment. You know, we, we wanted somewhere, uh, our kids to grow up and mm-hmm. say, Hey, that was our childhood home. And yes, you know, I think, um, the average, you said 11 or 12 homes. And, and I think if the average person lives to be 70 or 80, that's, that's seven or eight, you know, every seven or eight years you're moving, yep. uh, which we're, since my wife and I've been together, it's been every two to three. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's the average person. So somebody might stay in a home, you know, for thirty years, and somebody might be flipping out every two or three, like you, yeah. right? It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Hey, how much time do we have? I don't know. Twenty minutes. Okay, perfect. Because um, I know I was late. That's okay. I apologize for that. That's such a rookie mistake. So, 
one of the things that I hear, um, and you just went through your first indication. So I'm, I'm curious to, to know about that. But one of the things that I hear from people who join the real estate investing for the W2 employee Facebook group is their, their biggest pain points is raising money. Right. And you guys are, you only, you said you had one partner, but you just did your first syndication. So what, what's the best advice you can give somebody who wants to start raising money? So the first thing I think you need to do is, um, focus on whatever asset class you're doing, whether it's raising for single family homes, whether it's raising for oil and gas, whether it's raising for multifamily mobile home parks, you need to learn that implicitly. You need to learn how to be able to speak the lingo. That's the first thing. I think the next thing is um, start building an investor list. I mean, we had the podcast, so we've been able to increase that list through our podcast. We've had a couple live events, which we increased the list really a lot. I'm continuing to create education, so I create a lot of content. So every time someone joins the education platform, they become an investor or on our investor portal, and I'm teaching them how to do it. So these students are investing in our deals also side by side. We're doing webinars, so they're learning how to become a limited partner in a deal, learning how to syndicate. It's ultimately as much value as you can create. Join, Create a meetup, a multifamily meetup. Start out with 10 people in a coffee shop. All of a sudden, three months later, you've got 200 people on that meetup. Start learning how to speak to them, right? And I think ultimately, you have to go and get educated. You have to join a group or platform you're talking about a student that you know that was at our meetup this weekend. Um, he he learning about multifamily. We shifted his mind completely. I think he never even thought about raising capital, but he knew the mechanics of how to underwrite the deal. Yep. He knew the mechanics of how you know where is the market good. It's a good market. He he understood the mechanics of okay who's going to property manage this thing. He understood the mechanics of okay what you look for in a property. If all that looks good, the next point is just putting it and creating a credibility book or a pitch deck and just start talking to people about the opportunity. You have to create a substantive relationship first if you're doing a five hundred six B. But that's from friends, family, everyone that you know. Start talking about it, and it might be rough at first. It might be hard at first. But that's how you start out. You just start yeah. out by adding value to other people by giving them the opportunity, and also by you know the thing is people when you're financially free, you can see it. You you really listen to the other side. You know what does that investor want? Is he does he like the stock market? Okay, if he yeah. likes the stock market, it might be hard. But do you have four hundred one k money that's locked away and getting two percent and getting cream? Maybe you can give me some of that money, and um, you know I'll give you the opportunity to invest in our deal. So there's all different ways. You have to educate the other side first because a lot of people right. don't even know what real estate is. They're just used to the stock market and they're used to that Ponzi scheme. So with us, we have a tangible asset. We're going to be able to return an 8% preferred rate every every year. Um, we have this asset that's appreciating. The tenants are paying down the principal. It's something you can see. Stocks, I mean, hey, if you know, Tim Cook at, at, at Apple does something crazy, all of a sudden there's no, there's no, you have yeah. no control and you lose 20% in one day. What happened to Boeing? Boeing's flying the airplane. Maybe it's not their fault, but all of a sudden, the plane falls out of the sky. Mm -hmm. You have no control over that. So with real estate, as long as you choose the right sponsors, that's the most important thing is the sponsors of the deal. Because if something goes sideways, you want them to be transparent and and live up to their agreement. And if they can't, they'll do whatever they can. That's the most important thing. Then just check on your your investor goals. What are you looking to do? How long is your time frame for money? You know, what do you plan on doing with that money? That where you're getting the money from, all those things have to be worked out. Yeah. It amazes me how many people I come in contact with that are so skeptical about real estate, but then they have no problem losing money in the stock market. I'm like, guys. Yeah, they're used to that paradigm. And it's honestly, it's such a low level of financial intelligence because 
picking stocks is hitting a button. It's sexy. Yeah. It's easy. That dopamine, it's instant gratification. You can make money real quick and then you can lose, you know, that, that's what I think the attraction to that is. But I think, I, think it, I, I haven't thought about that, but I, I think you're onto something about the dopamine effect of trading those stocks. I, 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 I went out of college back in 92. I graduated, you know, back then you'd look at value line. The data was three months old and all that. I would love, yeah. <laughs> love to analyze stocks. I love to analyze companies because it was real. It was, it, you know, there were, now it's more called computer based. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's algorithms that are trading and you're, you're talking about, you know, arbitrage or one or two cents. So there's no such thing as investing for the long term because now companies evolve and within three years they can be completely out of business like GE. Whereas 30 years ago, the timeline of a company was a little bit longer. You still had some length. Now you get companies like Airbnb. They're worth more than these hotels and they don't own anything. It's That's amazing, insane. isn't it? <laughs> you, have, you, have, you have Lyft and Uber that are worth billions of dollars and what do they own? They own a platform. They own technology. You don't even own yeah, the process. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So how do you compete with that? If you're a brick and mortar and all of a sudden somebody comes through, it's like, holy crap. So stocks are hard. They're a lot yeah. harder. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's your best advice? So this month of April, uh, we're going through, uh, the 10 pillars of wealth by Alex Becker. Have you read that one yet? Yes. Traffic uh, stopper. Yes. Traffic, traffic fighter. Yes. That's yeah, my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Traffic fighter. I mean, I, traffic don't, fighter, yeah, yeah. I don't remember the 10 pillars. I don't remember his specifically, but I remember saying, do you want to be a traffic fighter your whole life when you're in traffic? Yeah. Especially guys. I used to live in New York. People can be two hours a day each way. Oh, man. Dude, but you're conditioned to do that. That is painful. That is just soul sucking, man, to me. Well, you know, and I went to, uh, we went to a, a Giants game before. This is before we had kids. The Patriots game was the last game we went to. Uh, and it, our son was 18 months old, I think. All right. The printer won't go off anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, when it, so we stayed in, um, we stayed in uh, near the stadium in New York, in New, it was in New Jersey, right? And, um, of course, we wanted to go to the city and play and do whatever. And we hit rush hour traffic one five o'clock one afternoon. And we just sat there and thought, how do people do this? You know, um, it was amazing. It was very eye opening experience for us. But um, one of the things that back to the 10 pillars of wealth, sorry, the whole printer thing. And you, and you hear that little pterodactyl in the background. That's our daughter. <laughs> so um, the 10 pillars of wealth, it talks about exchanging time for money right? Or money for time. Um, what are some of the, and you've done that, right? You successfully done that and you're doing it now. You've got all these passive, these units that are providing you somewhat passive income. I, I got into a discussion with somebody recently that there is no such thing as passive income. It's, it's more, some of it's more passive than others, right? But it's mm -hmm. all residual. Mm -hmm. uh, but what are some of the, the tips that you provide for folks to get in the habit of, of looking at, exchanging time for money or, or out of that base? It's really hard when you first start out because you're just used to going and doing a job. I think you, you need to start out small. That's why we like multifamily because nothing is truly passive, right? Unless you're investing as a limited partner in a syndication, that's truly passive. But, you know, you get your check every quarter. Um, right. That's great. You know, I think that's where you should start. And I think anyone who gets in and wants to get into real estate, maybe they find a syndication or a syndicator who's doing a deal and you want to invest 50000 or 25000 or whatever the minimum is, just to see their process, just to see how they do things, just to see how they talk, just to see how they create a webinar, just to see how they distribute money every quarter, just to see how they run the deal, how they put the value adds on the deal. Um, as far as creating multiple streams of revenue, 
you're going to have to need to share the pie because there's no way that I can do the Jake and Gino education full time day to day and, um, and property manage. Jake does property management day to day. I right. do Jake and Gino day to day. We created the syndication company. We brought on another partner to do the syndication company because we have 600 investors. If you need to spend time on that phone with all those guys, there's just not enough yeah, day for me to do that. So as you start scaling up and creating those other streams, some of those streams are going to be passive, but the Jake and Gino is not passive to me. But the Jake basically is, he does a podcast a week and he might do a couple of calls. He might spend three or four hours a week on Jake and Gino, but the Jake and Gino brand helps out with the property management because I'm learning, I'm learning a lot of stuff. I'm on podcasts with some smart guys. We're learning vendors. We're making connections. We're having the live events where we're actually bringing and learning new vendors. And then it helps the syndication company because I'm, I'm, I'm learning. I'm getting on new investors on there. I'm raising money through the platform. So they work in a symbiotic relationship. I think you just need to start small and just need to get into your first deal. And from there, you'll figure it out. You'll figure out that you can grow, but you need to, you need to really scale up with people. You need to have people on your team. Yeah. I, I challenge people to do... Um, to, if it's if they can't do it for a week, just do it for a few days, and and where document where you're spending your time, right? Mm-hmm. Most people who are not on this path that you and I are on, um, they probably have ten to twenty hours a week that they're just squandering mm-hmm. away easily. easily. Right? I'm doing that right now because at eight o'clock, you know, my kids are still a little young, so I spend a couple hours every night with my wife, just hanging on the couch, watching TV, watching the news because it's really gripping what's been going on for the last couple of years, right? Yeah. So that's my downtime. Um, I just sit there and you know, I used to read all the time, but you know, I, I need a little downtime now. I will guarantee you people can find an hour a day for seven days, extra seven to 10 hours a week, guaranteed. Easy. And that seven to 10 hours can read one book a week and then, or listen to the book a week, right? And then from there, you're reading 50 books a year. After five years, you have 250 books read. It's basically going to college on a topic that you're that yeah. to. So, I mean, that's hard for people, but that's all habitual. You know, read Atomic Habits by James Clear. You'll learn how to start creating habits. you learn how to start setting yourself up with success because people who are successful just have successful habits. That's what yeah. it comes down to. I mean, like, you know, we all have habits. We all want to, you know, we all want to do certain things every day. But if you can create successful habits, like working on yourself, you know, having a positive mindset, putting positive stuff into your mind, you're going to become successful. There's just no way, yeah. there's no two ways about it. Some folks habits are, uh, watching Netflix for an hour or two yeah. before they go to bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not saying you don't do that every now and then to relax and you know, yes. time with your significant other, but yes. um, make sure you get your other stuff done first. All right. Yeah. So last question. Well, I got two more questions for you and then we'll get out of here. What do you think the market is going and are you concerned about it? Does it bother you at all? Well, I mean, GDP was revised downward, right? 2.2%. I mean, you have all the people on Facebook. They're all prognosticators. There's oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. These are the same people that have been sitting on the sidelines forever. And they're like, you know, I just tell people, honestly, if you're into, if you're going to get into a space, everyone tells me, well, I can't get into multifamily because I'm going to wait till the market corrects and I'm going to wait till I have my money saved up for a down payment. You're never going to have money saved up for a down payment. And, and the market, when it corrects, you're not even going to know because you're not educated. You don't know what it looks like and you don't have a team built out. You don't have a market picked up. So I think if you're going to invest, the cycles are like this. They're diff- there's yeah. four different market cycles. Just learn it, learn where we are in the cycle um, and don't try to be, have that crystal ball because I just think we have the only real economy on the planet other than China. Um, people are going to continue to flood money into this country to buy assets, and that's why prices are low. People see the demographics. 36% of the U.S. is a renter nation. It was 31% a decade ago. Um, they're going to continue to rent. Um, and 
I just don't see multifamily. You know, long term, I think it's healthy. There's a the affordable housing crisis is here. I mean, HUD has been run mismanaged so poorly. They just hired a CFO. I mean, you kidding me? You don't have a CFO of, of, of HUD to see where the money's going. And that's the problem because it's a government entity. They it's don't a have government to, run entity. Yeah. yeah. And and be careful at Section 8 because a lot of these Section 8 authorities don't have the money. I mean, yeah. they, they are short on funds. Nothing is guaranteed. Government shutdown, you're not going to get paid. So just be careful where we are. I think long term, you have to buy right. I mean, you just yeah. got to buy a cash flowing asset and you buy it right. You have long-term fixed rate financing debt on the asset and you're looking at cash flow and learning, looking to run and manage it properly. That's the best we can do, right? I mean, yeah. five years ago, we're buying assets. Everyone, if you remember back in 13 and 14, we we're buying one bedrooms. They were renting for three, fifteen, four hundred bucks a month. That's why they were worth twenty-two or twenty-three thousand a unit. Now, right. that, <laughs> now that same asset is renting for six hundred dollars a month, and it's worth thirty-five a door. That's why, because the income went up dramatically. But back then, it was risky because the economy was still, you know, back in 13, the economy wasn't great. I mean, you know, we were still a little fearful. We it yeah. was was not good. <clears throat> so that's why the prices were lower. Now there's more exuberance. There's more money floating around, and that's why prices are escalated right now. What do you think? How soon? Give me a range on when you think there will be a dip uh, in in housing prices. And and when most people think of that, they think of single family, right? Or yes. as I do. So, um, you know, I hope soon. I, 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 mean, yeah, yeah. I hope soon. I mean, we bought a we bought an asset uh, in Knoxville. Bought it great. I mean, it's not going to dip anywhere below we bought it because we bought it really expensive. But the crazy thing about it is, my house in New York is still twenty five to thirty percent below where it was back in 06 and 07. The house I'm living in right now, I bought it for less than what it sold for back in 07. So I think yeah. a lot of these prices they're still not back in the pre six oh seven oh eight. Prices. I don't know where you're living, but I, I see that. I mean, obviously, you have all the markets that are really hot, like maybe Denver, Colorado, and you got Idaho, yeah. Boise, Idaho, and you have certain California markets. But I think a lot of it, um, and it has to do with debt. I think Fannie and Freddie are still pretty underwriting for 65, 70% LTV. They still want to see coverage ratios that are pretty, pretty right. um, stable. And, you know, I, that's what we're seeing in the multifamily because we're refining it. And they're looking, even though cap rates are low, we're not refining at 80% LTV. We're still yeah. getting 65 or 70%. So that, that, that actually makes me feel a little bit better about where the debt is. Um, yeah. I, you just got to be careful what asset class you're in. I, I think office is going to be difficult unless you're in a metro because people, are, me and you, are working out of their, our houses, yeah. right? And ha- companies are downsizing. I, I think strip malls are going to be really, with what's going on, you can't live in the internet. So basically, you need to rent the house. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to be the best buys of the world. These boxes are, are really shrinking. If you, unless you have an A prime property in a real good location, just be careful with that. Um, and as, as soon as the economy starts faltering, that that asset class is um, is going to get really hurt. Well, yeah. home parks are great. There's affordable housing, just that they're tearing them down or they're not rebuilding anymore. So it's a smaller niche. I think it's an awesome, but even those, you have you have hedge funds that are going after them. They used to be 12, 13 caps. Now they're seven caps. Yeah. So you buy seven Which, caps with the value add, right? But it's still a great asset, but you know you have to really know and be in that, in that, in that asset. I'm just trying to think of any other, any other asset classes. Yeah, single family homes, I mean, the turnkeys, they've really... Escalated in price. They're a little, I think those are a little bit more on the comp analysis. So you just got to be careful with when yeah. you're buying those, right? Yeah. And to answer your question, I'm just across the state from you. I'm in Pensacola. So, oh, dude. Yeah. yeah. Florida's <laughs> great. Isn't Florida great? I it's mean, awesome. I moved, yeah. I moved down here. I just hope enough New Yorkers don't move down to turn it into a blue state because we moved down here because it's a red state because nice. there's no state income tax. 
Um, the people, state income tax is big. It's uh, <laughs> huge. It, or it, lack of. Yeah, it makes a it makes a big difference. So hopefully they don't do that. And like you said, I live in St. Augustine, so I'm I'm 500 feet from the beach. So it's yeah. it's just a great place to live. Like I said, the people are great. Um, we just hope it doesn't it doesn't go by the wayside. And hopefully Medicare, Medicaid for all, it's just going to it'll bankrupt the state. That's what. Yeah. We're Hopefully it doesn't, right? Um, all right. So last question, and then we'll get into contact information, make sure we have that, all that set up. What is, uh, what's one thing that you still love to cook in the kitchen? What's your favorite thing? Oh, nothing. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's just, I mean, if there, you have six kids, I doubt there's ever a time where you just have, hey, this is my time. You know, I doubt there's ever just Gino one-on-one time. But if there is, and you're hungry, what's the first thing you're going to cook for yourself? It's funny because, I, you know, when you're at the restaurant, you're used to making a mess and all. So at the yeah. restaurant, I like duck, right? So I would get a piece of duck breast and just, you know, just saute it and get that duck fat on there. I, I, I won't make it at home. It's a mess. And plus, you can't make – I'll never cook for myself ever. You know, if my <laughs> wife cooks breakfast, lunch, and dinner, three squares, if she ever sees me cooking for myself, she'll shoot me. And she should shoot me, right? So um, I love duck. Be honest with you, I think. Okay, duck. sauteed duck. All right, yeah. you know, that's one thing I've never had before. I, oh, I, I'm gonna have to try it out then. Get a piece of duck breast, just saute. You don't need any fat because you saute it on the fat side. You 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 you, you scar it a little bit. What is it okay. called? Okay, you, you know, and then you just put it on the on the fat side. Flip it over, and you can cook it medium rare. If you want to finish it off in the oven, you put a little balsamic vinegar, reduce it with a little bit of butter. It is it is awesome, dude. It's great. Uh, at uh, I'm Your mouth is watering right now. So. And mine is too. And I've never had it before. So <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. If there's any place around here that serves duck for lunch. It makes a mess. That's the thing. Yeah. But I mean, like you can put it in the oven and uh, you can just roast duck, but I, I love duck breasts. I really yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to have to try it. All right, Gino. Uh, thank you for, for joining me. And I apologize again for the, the mix up on the schedule. That, that is totally on me. No problem. That's uh, okay. I owe, I owe Josh a, a apology too, so I'll, I'll get with him. But um, you've got a lot of things going on. You, we didn't even mention your best-selling book, Will Barrel's uh, Will Barrel Profits, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for, which is on Amazon. I'll link to that. But what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Just go on the website, jakeandgener.com. Okay. Um, we have a ton of articles. We have our podcast there, Will Barrel Profits. Um, the podcast is great because we do a lot of multifamily, but we have a lot of, you know, gen biz and, and business and personal development guys on there. It's important to have them on there because it's really creating a business and creating um, mindset. My email is Gino at Jake and Gino.com. Uh, just hit me up. Ask okay. questions. And like I said, you can't pick my brain, but ultimately what we like to do is just, we like to get people, you know, joining our mentorship. We have a different process. We want people to start with goal setting, goal setting for themselves. And, and really it's not just trying to sell education, but, you're trying to educate people on, on why multifamily and you know is it right for them? Because yeah. if you're going to sign somebody up and it's not right for the person, they're not going to take action, but you want them to be engaged. You want them to know why multifamily, you don't want them to know that there's a community here behind you. Yeah. Yeah. And same, and the uh, same thing with the W2 capitalist group. I've had guys sign up, they didn't take action and mm-hmm. within a month they were gone and I'm glad they're gone. Right. Yes. Because uh, it sure it's missed out revenue, but it's. Yeah. You know, I know the revenue is not like I said, I'm not doing this to make money. It's not like I'm making a whole lot of money on it anyway. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yes. And you want, you want to be careful with that because you don't want your mindset to say, you know what? "Ah, I'm okay. I'm I'm making, I'm, I'm, I don't really need to monetize this on a grand scale. I know we will, 
you know, we already start, but that's not my focus. My focus is really to help people out and really, I'm learning myself too, because I'm learning so many more things. When you start talking to people, you start connecting people and, and you know, you know, deals are coming to us and investors are coming to us. So the whole thing yeah. is just great. So that's what ultimately, you know, well, yeah. And, and, and it sounds very much similar to why I started the W2 capitalist is because I wanted like-minded people to interact with, mm-hmm. right? Because the, yes. what, the limited amount of people who are at the office that I work in, who know what I do for real estate investing, they don't get it. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're just yeah. not as focused. And there's a local meetup. Um, I actually spoke at this month uh, a couple of times uh, that has those like-minded people but I'm a, I'm a keyboard jockey, man. Mm-hmm. I, I'm an IT guy. We started talking about that a little bit earlier and my ears kind of picked, perked up like, Hey, are we going to get into that part of the conversation? I'm glad we didn't, uh-huh. but it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things. If you surround yourself with like-minded people, uh, to push you even further and keep you accountable mm-hmm. through your Cow. group, through my group, yep. it, it's going to be, am- you're going to be amazed at, um, how much further, how much more productive. You should come down to our event in October. We have an event in Orlando in October uh, at the Gaylord Palms, the 19th and 20th. Um, if you sure. want, I'll have Josh send you a coupon code to it. Um, it's at the Gaylord Palms. We had in Nashville last year 400 people. I think this year it's going to be 600. So you're probably two, two and a half hour drive. Um, I did it there because I'm only a two hour drive and I'm going to spend You said Orlando? It's in Orlando, yeah. Orlando is a little bit further for us. So we're, we're on the very uh, west of the panhandle. So, but, oh, oh, you're, oh, okay. You're up yeah, there. But we you. made that, we made the trip uh, to Orlando last year. Um, and I'm, I might do that because the, the conference that I want to go to this year is in Washington, DC, mm-hmm. uh, which would be a great trip with a family, but with a newborn. And DC a is a cool two, place. Right? If you're, yeah, if you're, if you're into history and you're into museums and stuff yeah. like that cool place it really is uh, it may be a trip for us to take when the kids get a little older and they can appreciate yeah. it more yes. yeah yeah it's funny because the same with disney you have three kids they're really young you're going for yourself and you're going for your experience with them they're not going to remember it but who yeah. cares? you have a lot of fun with them there right yeah <laughs> yeah so we may be able to do that um we'll see we'll see how the Okay. Delivery comes on, but I, I definitely, I'll make a note of it and grab the link from Josh so people can find out more about it and hopefully see you there for sure. Okay. That'd be awesome. All right. Well, dude, thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks again. I appreciate it. And hopefully we can do it again soon. That okay. sounds good. Have a great Bye. day, Jay. Thank you. you. Have a great weekend. Yep. Bye. Bye.